This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It is Thursday, 9th of February, 2023, and another day where we see a reversal of direction. And I think some of that uh, action the prior day, actually, I want to talk a little bit about that, that pumping back and forth over the Fed speech. I think it's another one of these side effects or symptoms of this zero days to expiry option phenomenon. I'll get into that in a moment. I guess uh, right now it's kind of interesting that we saw yesterday's ugly session erasing the prior day's positive session, and now we have positive action again after the close with Disney reporting, Peter. Um, I'm a bit surprised at the scale of this reaction myself, uh, given what uh, some of the internals in the Disney uh, report is showing, this huge cost-cutting effort. But that that cost-cutting, if it's in production of movies and so on from Disney, I wonder how it's going to affect their uh, future ability to pump out blockbusters that that uh, you know reap masses of revenue. But what's your take there? I'm sure maybe you wanted to delay that for the rest of the uh, – or later when we do the stocks to watch. But um, what was your impression of yesterday's session? It feels like the the market is moving into a, a limbo, tighter trading ranges, a little bit undecided where to go from here, basically. So we're going to go with the uh, the pro-cyclical uh, growth narrative uh, combined with inflation coming down. So that's the rosy uh, rosy outlook, and and you know take the S and P five hundred on the close above forty two hundred, and then gunning for that forty three hundred. Is that <clears throat> that's one path? That's one scenario. The other scenario path I see for it is that we, we 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 stay in this tight trading range and we wait for additional macro indicators to come in and decide whether probability the probability is it going up for this procyclical growth upturn or it the probability is going up for a, for an incoming recession. I think that's the battleground. And then also more data of course on the inflation because there's one thing that doesn't really rhyme is that the procyclical up upturn or uptrend bet doesn't really rhyme with the inflation forecasts that are priced into the market. There, there's something there, there is a disconnect, and I'm really wondering how the market will handle that. And that, that I think, is what we see back and forth uh, in terms of the trading performance right now in the S&P 500. And you see it in the on slide two. So one thing is a chart, but you also see it in the theme basket. So it was a, a very well-divided um, theme universe last uh, in yesterday's session with uh, you know almost a little bit more than half of the uh, the basket being down and the other half uh, being uh, being up uh, the best performing being energy storage it really seems to be grabbing a lot of uh, attention lately and we are planning a, a bigger piece on batteries because as I, we talked about in an internal call we have this uh, this uh, proxy war if you will or trade war call it what technology war if you will on uh, semiconductors between the US and China with the US chips act and I feel pretty certain that the that the next the next technology war will will be around green technologies, so solar panel production, which China dominates completely. Uh, very important, of course, for the green transformation. But then also batteries, and batteries sits in the energy storage. So you have production of energy, and then you have the consumption of energy, and then you have the storage in between when you uh, overproduce or if you want to do electric vehicles. So that's uh, for another day. I think it's a huge and very interesting topic. Yeah, we talked about global, uh, you know, the cyclical, some of the cyclical signals we're getting, some of the more cyclical and leading sectors, uh, at least in historical markets, uh, something like semiconductors, uh, financials, the transport's doing quite well. Um, I think there's a gambling side to this market, which I'll get into in a moment, but you're, you're bringing banks or the financial sector back into the discussion in the following slide there. What are you seeing in banks? And then I guess there's this uh, Credit Suisse story, but maybe that one's for, for later in the podcast. 
Yeah, exactly. So on the on the next slide on slide three, you can see the uh, the global banking index, so the MSI World Banks Industry Group, and this is a total return in in dollars. And uh, we 10% above the cyclical peak we had back in in August 2022. I think that is uh, quite a remarkable uh, turnaround, and we only nine percent from the uh, from the peak in uh, in 2022. Just want to point out, uh, you're talking about there was a, a small peak. Back in August of last year, but the the big main peak was at the beginning of 2022. Is yeah, that exactly. Just, but just that, to- that's because the the August cyclical peak. The reason why we talk so much about that uh, August is because we rallied into that peak in August, and then we had the downturn where everything got very ugly. And then around early October, then the whole pro cyclical uh, upturn trade, lower inflation, really kicked in, and that's the that's the leg up we have had. And an important note here about <clears throat> this banking index is that the the way the the gigs. Uh, sector classifications work is that you don't have a Goldman Sachs, for instance, in this banking index. I don't think you have JP Morgan Chase either in this index because they are what is called diversified financials. So these banks that are in this index are the more more pure uh, commercial and uh, you know, commercial banks, basically with uh, you know only loans and deposits. Okay, and uh, then on the gambling side of things, I was discussing, and that is these. Uh, of course, options trading in general. We've talked about Tesla as uh, being a, essentially a gambling vehicle for many uh, traders and day traders out there. But this is an increasing phenomenon, and just not not just for retail players, but also for institutions, uh, because of the leverage you can get uh, and the liquidity of the market. The trading in options that are ex- uh, set to expire on the same day as as you're trading them, uh, so-called zero DTE options. And you can see on slide four a few a few charts there. That lower left chart, I think, is actually uh, only up to date for, uh, oh, it is, uh, it is up to date for Q1 of this year. Sorry, I thought it was only up to date from from last year. Uh, showing the percentage of these uh, e-mini options that are traded uh, on zero DTE options. So in other words, over 40%, it looks like we're pushing close to 50% of those options that are being traded are expiring on uh, on the day of that trading. And, and that is up from something like 3 4% just a few years ago or 5% just a few years ago. It means you get the types of swings that we discussed with the uh, November de- uh, CPI release back in uh, back in December, where we saw a 130 point swing, both up and then back down in the S and P within the space of maybe an hour. And you saw it yesterday over uh, Fed Chair Powell's speech. It's almost algorithmic driven uh, trading. From first he says that, then he says something else, and then the market decides to do what it was going to do anyway, or something into the close. I think it's less about the impact of what Powell is actually saying. Uh, and more about uh, the types of hedging flows you get and the gamma exposure that explodes in both direction uh, as the price swings and the delta of these options uh, swings crazily intraday as we head into the close. And, and the only reason I bring this up is just to be aware if you're if you're trading heavy leverage and in any instrument linked to almost anything. And you saw, uh, for example, over the Powell speech, a similar type of intraday volatility in FX and the U.S. dollar because these markets do uh, stay relatively correlated in this type of volatility environment. I, I don't think this is the kind of uh, a setup that is going to trigger a, a systemic crisis, but it could trigger a flash crash, something on the order of 5%, maybe even 10%, uh, if, if uh, there's some event, known or unknown, that triggers an avalanche uh, of trading. So it's just something to be aware of. Um, and of course, if you want to trade it, they are available to, to whoever is uh, sophisticated enough to operate in that space. Uh, whether it's on Saxo's platforms or elsewhere, and, and you have the right to client profile, but still, just a, a, a word of warning out there. All right, in FX, the focus is pretty much, I think, on the yen this week. So we had the dollar coming back in uh, with the weak risk sentiment yesterday. There was also a strong U.S. Treasury auction, so it wasn't a, a fresh rise in U.S. Treasury yields that was driving uh, 
It wasn't driving the risk off and it wasn't driving the dollar either. Looks like it was risk sentiment. And uh, there's a lot of focus on Japan and the Japanese yen with uh, as we try to suss out the identity of the new Bank of Japan governor. If it's going to be Amamiya, who's considered the more dovish candidate or somebody else, Prime Minister Kishida is saying that he wants to, uh, quote unquote, avoid a surprise. But it does feel like the situation is, is uh, pretty uh, twitchy here around this issue. And uh, just pulled up a chart of something like Euro yen showing how it's, it's been back and forth and churning crazily within a range. The latest down leg was more on the ECB waxing less hawkish than expected at last week's meeting. But just do note, you could have a tremendous acceleration in yen upside or downside, depending on, on the identity. I think more likely on the upside than uh, in terms of sustained potential move, as long as uh, global bond yields aren't starting to march sharply higher, especially if somebody besides Amamiya is, uh, eventually emerges as the front-running candidate. And then as we're speaking, We've had the Reeks Bank out, and I'll cover that. And I check out check out my phone in a moment while Ola is talking, perhaps on commodities. Uh, when I look over the macro calendar later, they were supposed to hike fifty basis points today. But Ola, we have this uh, your fa- one of your favorite uh, big big uh, feature reports out that uh, sets the tone for grain markets, and that was the WASDI report yesterday. So take us through that and what you're seeing uh, in grains and, and the rest of the commodity markets here. Indeed, John. And first of all, just uh, greetings here from uh, Bratislava and uh, also a shout out to uh, to clients turning up for the event last night. And thank you very much for all the kind words many of you expressed with regards to the the podcast. It's really nice to uh, to meet people in in the, in the flesh, uh, face to face and get these kind of comments. So uh, that really drives us forward. So thank you very much for that. The uh, Yes, we had the WASTI report out yesterday. It was not really one of the major, uh, major ones in the calendar year, but uh, we nevertheless did see some short covering in hitting the olive the wheat price uh, afterwards it is the most shorted of the of the grain contracts uh, of the futures contracts in general right now so we'll just keep an eye on that if there's any further bids coming in because that could could drive some some additional short covering there but uh, the market is also uh, some somewhat concerned about the production outlook for corn and soybeans in Brazil no sorry in Argentina they've had some extreme drought there and we can see that also being reflected in the numbers that uh, that came out but but generally a, a report a bit of a mixed report but but one that's uh, just uh, giving that uh, lift to uh, to wheat. Uh, a couple of other things uh, catching my 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 uh, my eyes this morning here from my small screen is uh, the gas price in Europe, which has dropped uh, to a 17 months low. We had a that's the, the well the, the, on the close last night. Um, the the story remains the same. We're just coming out of a cold spell here in Europe, and uh, forecast is pointing towards milder weather to uh, for the uh, the remainder of the month, and that potentially could still leave this. In inventory levels at uh, pretty close to 60% uh, availability when we hit the uh, turnaround uh, towards end of March. Uh, so anywhere between 55 and 6 will obviously uh, make the refilling process much easier to, uh, to, to achieve over the coming months. And also we have a major export plant in the US, Freeport LNG, which is likely to start uh, exporting again sometime sometime soon, and that could add additional supplies to, uh, to Europe. So gas prices are on the defensive here. And then just finally on slide eight, just a quick look at the two of the major markets, Brent crude and gold, both been moving 
higher uh, since the uh, drop last week. But uh, while Brent uh, looks like it's got more more uh, more legs to to stand on, I think the gold bounce has been somewhat uh, tepid uh, so far. You can almost argue we have a we have a bear flag uh, in in the making. So uh, just look out for um, some additional weakness in gold. There could be a risk that we that we that we have not seen the the bottom of this correction uh, phase just yet. And uh, if we do break uh, to the downside below that 1860 level, look out for the 1828 level next. Um, we need a bit of a stronger reaction to the upside to to call this uh, the 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 end of the the correction. So uh, watch out for that. But while we while we remain quite uh, constructive on on crude oil, if we can close above that 21 day moving average today, that uh, that just signals an additional um, additional momentum coming into the market. So um, so that's what I'll be watching there. All right. Great. Thanks, Ola, for joining. And I know you've got a interview you need to get to, so uh, we'll let you go there. But Peter, let's uh, swing back to the um, equity market here and a couple of stories that we talked about um, that I alluded to. The Credit Suisse story is a very interesting one, and, and we have to wonder to what degree it's idiosyncratic or something that's representative of maybe some potential broader malaise or risk of malaise in the in the you know among financials. But it does look like, at least price development wise, that it's not representative uh, across the industry. No, I mean, given our talk about global banks and the financial services, uh, the the rebound we have seen there, uh, the Credit Suisse is definitely an idiosyncratic uh, risk, uh, or is driven by idiosyncratic risk. Um, it's a long story. We've talked about it before on the podcast. I don't want to dwell on the uh, on the details of why we have ended up here, except just saying that they are out this morning here in Europe with a report showing that they the they ended the fourth quarter with one hundred and eleven billion. Swiss franc on, uh, of outflows um, from there across the wealth uh, and the um, and the asset management side of the business. They say deposits have stabilized. They actually used the word positive in was positive in January, uh, but then the outlook. I mean, the the wording they're using themselves is that the bank is seeing a substantial loss before taxes in 2023. Shares down five percent. They also say that they do expect to return to profitability already in 2024. So. The, you can argue here the the uh, the case for Credit Suisse is whether they can convince investors and creditors to look through 2023. Now they have front loaded it, five percent. That doesn't seem like much given what they what they have just stated. So um, yeah, in, very interesting for Credit Suisse. This of course is there will be a lot of you know speculators that will take you know a punt on uh, on this stock and uh, you know if they can actually. If they can show credibility and move back to profitability in 2024, I mean, then at these low share prices, I'm I'm quite sure a lot of speculators will will do tactical bets on uh, on Credit Suisse that um, that maybe they can get up and, and dancing again. But in the meanwhile, we we're, we're down here and watch this story, of course, if you're trading European uh, European equities. Um, the two stories out of the US, we have flagged those earnings uh, in, on yesterday's podcast: Uber and Disney. So Uber. Just continues to to walk from one record to another. In Q4, they made a record number of uh, of trips. They are also expanding their advertising business. They they are on track to do a billion uh, dollars in advertising revenue. It's actually quite an interesting thing that is happening over time here. So we, you know, the the online and digitalization created a duopoly more or less on market share between Google and Meta, uh, the old Facebook and you know the Instagram network, etc. But you have Amazon that is building out a pretty significant advertising business. You have uh, now Uber building out a significant advertising business. You have Netflix building out a significant advertising business. If I was to 
sort of come up with an idea here. I, I'm, I haven't fully fleshed out my my you know th this idea, but maybe we're moving towards a situa situation where the online advertising market is moving away from this duopoly to something that's much more fragmented and you have more avenues and venues where you can purchase advertising. And maybe, maybe this will change the fundamental pricing structure. And I, I think this idea is interesting because the structure of capitalism is always super, super difficult. Also, when you when if you go back to the 1980s, you couldn't comprehend how could the world change. You had the, the major oil and gas majors that were, you know, the, sitting on the on the throne in the equity markets. But then the digitalization come uh, came came about, and we we have new kings and queens sitting on the throne of the of the equity market. And and maybe maybe we're beginning to see the uh, the 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 initial seeds here of a very very changing advertising market that will disrupt that for for Google and Meta. Just an idea. I, I'll think more about it and and come back on that. And then Disney, um, Disney is a, is a target for uh, for activist investors just like Salesforce, uh, which by the way, uh, uh, Third Point Capital, and just announced that they are joining three other activist investors. Uh, you know, really trying to push. Salesforce to become more profitable, and the same thing is happening in Disney. And uh, the uh, the Bob Iger, the uh, the new CEO, he's announced a 5.5 billion cost cutting exercise, and that's despite actually a, a decent fourth quarter. They beat on uh, on earnings per share against expectations. The Disney Plus subscribers fell one percent quarter and quarter, and that was because they had lost some cricket cricket game rights in India. That's a, that's a big thing in that country. The shares were up five percent in extended trading, and the, the investors are really liking that they're taking aggressive stance on on uh, on the cost cutting side. All right, and then we have the earnings reports. A heck of a lot of names there today. Uh, any one or two you want to pick out? Well, we or more. Yeah, we uh, the, uh, the the blue uh, the blue names Loyal, Siemens, ArcelorMittal, Unilever, and, and AstraZeneca are the five uh, major focus points in the European session. But if we look ahead to the uh, to the US session, it's uh, Pepsi Cola and PayPal. Uh, PayPal was uh, down yesterday, I think three percent on that. Edian, uh, the Europe's largest payment companies, that really spooked the market yesterday with a with a big miss on the operating margin at a terrible conference called by the CEO. And PayPal is in the same business. ADN has been taking market share from PayPal as the previous parent company, uh, eBay, the um, that you know owned PayPal, they shifted some of their international volume to ADN and that uh, that caused some headwinds for some time for PayPal. But um, let's see how things stacks up for PayPal and especially on the Outlook side and then Pepsi-Cola just looks rock solid. Seven percent uh, and seven percent revenue and earnings per share growth expected for this company in Q4. It's just a massive resilient business. So apparently, snacks and beverage is something we all want, John. Despite what happens in the well, world. Well, not not those of us that are trying to lose weight, but uh, they are tempting. Uh, <laughs> let's go for the uh, macro calendar, and I have uh, made myself uh, a bit more clever on what's going on here on the Riksbanken out of Sweden, a big meeting. It was a key test for this new governor, Eric Tadean, who has, looks like he's, um, you know, they've got some religion recognizing the risks from the currency weakening to uh, feeding these inflation levels, which uh, in December hit above 10% at the core for Sweden. Uh, and part of that has been obviously aggravated by this very weak Swedish krona. So we have the bank raising the 50 basis points as expected, saying that they're probably going to be uh, raising rates further in the future. The, the market may be a bit up in the air on how, to, to what degree they would signal further tightening. But importantly, also saying that they're going to accelerate their pace of selling bonds. I don't have the details. It wasn't in the top part of the statement. But that acceleration of quantitative tightening, unanticipated, 
we have a decent reaction in the two years, up several basis points, but the 10 years on that QT message, up at least uh, 13, 14 basis points when I checked a moment ago. So uh, there is a key delivery. We have a, a solid technical setup and reversal here in Euro stocky. Uh, so we have it below this uh, 1130 area. Uh, and uh, you know, I think it's uh, potentially, uh, if we put a line in the sand here uh, for the Reeks Bank by, I think, uh, with this meeting. So interesting development there in FX for today. Rest of the day, pretty quiet stuff. We have uh, uh, Mr. Andrew Bailey, Governor of Bank of England, out shortly. Weekly claims from the U.S. Again, we've been marching lower and lower in these claims. Are we going to get uh, any sort of disruption in that in that uh, trend there? And the natural gas storage change out of the U.S., where we've had some incredibly low prices uh, there after trading 10. We're trading the low twos now on U.S. natural gas. Mexico expected to bump another quarter point on their rate. Um, if I recall, 10.75%, the new rate is expected that. And um, I've been quite a carry trade there until recently. And then we close out the week pretty quietly as well. Only really the uh, preliminary February University of Michigan sentiment of interest there. And I think that could be interesting because of this you know, supposedly very, very strong U.S. labor market and some of the easing inflation. Is, is the sentiment level picking up a little bit further or, or is it still sort of flashing a bit orange, if you will, in the background here? But that is it for today uh, as we await further developments. And we'll be back tomorrow with the Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>